Thanksgiving week and trying to crank one of these out quickly. Probably be a short one. My brother's actually coming to Portugal for the first time. And we're going to spend Thanksgiving with him and his kids, his wife. This will just be a short podcast, some personal stuff. So I don't know if you guys remember, I was I had to take a Portuguese language exam in order to qualify for my passport. Still won't come for like a year or more because everything's so backed up. But I took the test. I studied for the test. And uh, I was a little nervous because especially the oral part where I had to talk to this woman. Where is she from? Like Romania or something? And it was, it was bad. It was, it was embarrassing. And they, you have you on camera. Cause I guess they send the footage to the, the graders. Anyway, I get the test results back last week and I didn't only pass, I passed easily and I got 97 on the oral part, which had to be some kind of mistake because I'm not very good. And even I was disappointed at my performance. I was like, wow, that was embarrassing. That was bad even for me. And I got 97. I'm not really sure what happened there. And I got 62 on one. I got 90 on another. Anyway, you only needed 55 to pass. So I passed by a mile. And so that's done. I, I'm not, it's kind of weird because I'm still taking this Portuguese class, but I'm like, why am I taking this? I already got qualified for the passport, but I am going to make a concerted effort to really learn it better. I was forced to speak it today a couple of times because I was dealing with people that spoke no English and that was good. But man, uh, they really want you to pass. I don't think anyone fails who makes even any kind of an effort. So um, that was good. Check that box. Also been running a little differently. I ran a, a 10K. I decided to run a 10K. So I was at the track and 10K is easy mathematically. You run the 100 meters 100 times. So I was like one, two. And Sasha took my watch because her watch broke. And then she stole my watch. I didn't have a watch. So, you know, when you don't have a watch, you got to really count how far you've gone because how do you know which lap you're on? So I was counting. It's pretty tedious. It took me more than an hour. I did it slow. I did 10K and I just did uh, four, four miles today, which is, I guess, 6. Point, not 6.4K, four miles. And in the middle of it, I did, I was like, I'll run in just a 10-minute mile. Usually I'm running like a 12-minute mile, 13-minute mile. I'm going slow when I do longer distances. And I was like, okay, I'll just do a 10 minute mile. And I ended up doing an eight and a half minute mile, which it wasn't terrible, but I was out of breath. So I'm not, I'm still just, you realize like I, I didn't do anything for a long time. So I'm still just working my way up to getting into real shape. I think seven minute miles where, you know, if you can run the seven at age 51, you're in like good shape, really good shape. And then, you know, anything below seven, that's like, that's kind of testing the limits of what you can do. So we'll see. But eight and a half was doable, no problem, but not not like easy for me. I was definitely out of breath. And I kept going though for another mile after that slowly. So that's going well. Another thing I've been doing, doing two things simultaneously, I got a bunch of planters and stuff for my balcony. And like the balcony is really old. So like none of those thin planters really fit on it. So I had to like jerry rig these ropes and stuff. It's, it, it's not very slick looking, but I, I got a bunch of pots now roped around the balcony on the inside. So I don't kill anybody if they fall out and I'm growing, you know, fall vegetables like cabbage, arugula, and lettuce, and they're growing. And it's nice to check every day they're growing and the chili peppers are still growing. I don't know why in November they're, they're still growing now. Usually it's like late summer. So that's doing well. And I'm also taking, buying cabbages from the farmer's market and fermenting them. And I also bought this whole thing of chilies. And usually when I try to ferment chilies, they would get moldy and I have to throw them out. 
but I know how to ferment cabbage and the sauerkraut pretty well now. I've done it a million times. So what I'm starting to do is I chopped up like, I don't know, like a hundred chilies, like a ton of them and put them inside the middle of the jar of the cabbage. So they're all pickling in the cabbage juice. So I know those are going to work because they're sort of protected by the salty cabbage water. The problem with other vegetables, which I haven't really figured out yet is they don't generate as much water as cabbage does. And so they're not totally submerged in the salt water, which is what prevents the mold from growing in the, and it gets the good lacto-fermented bacteria to grow instead. So, and it's just kind of together. Like I saw, I've got this, this stuff growing on my balcony and I've got the stuff fermenting in the kitchen cabinets. Heather's probably annoyed because I've got like eight different jars of stuff. I got kombucha going. I got all this stuff. And it's just cool to set things up and then let nature, the yeasts that, that are in the air, the bacteria that are in the air, do the work for you over time. So you're getting nature to power this complex process of making the food more nutritious and taste really good. And you are not do you're not putting in the energy. The energy is just, I mean, you're putting the energy to grind up the cabbage and stuff, go to the market and buy it. But once you let the cabbage and salt water do its work, you don't have to do anything. The bacteria which exist in nature are doing the work for you. And time is your friend. So you've got a natural process doing the work. And then you've got time all operating in your favor. And I think that's just a great thing because you know, day to day, you're handling your life, you're taking care of your job or whatever it is, your family, cooking dinner, walking the dog, whatever it is. And, you know, and time goes by and it seems like time's the enemy, like I'm getting older and running out of time. But I think it's important to put time, use time as an ally. You know, we've got this, this houses in Portugal and they're taking forever to even get the permits done, which we still don't have. At least they were submitted properly. But once that's going, that's going to be something that time is on our side. It's going to be a project that is hopefully if the economy doesn't crash, making something that we like. And I'm also growing anytime I have a seed of any kind, like grapefruit seeds or passion fruit seeds, I always put some in a pot on the balcony and I've got these loquats. I don't know if you guys know what loquats are. They grow in LA. We had a tree near our house in LA, but those are starting to grow and little avocado trees, although the avocado is suffering now, I think it gets too cold here for them but maybe not. Maybe I'm just doing something wrong. But every seed I have, I'm putting it in the soil and letting it sprout. Got some strawberries growing. And this is like two very small balconies. And I feel like we have the property, but I'm almost thinking like get stuff started here and then just transport it when it's a tree and get a greenhouse going, you know, so that you can get stuff started all year round. It doesn't get that cold in Portugal. It doesn't get, doesn't freeze. So Anyway, just thoughts. I just like to have this stuff growing and working on my behalf without me having to do anything about it. We are going to get some solar panels, not like on the roof. I think they're pretty ugly. We got them in LA, got some tax break. And I guess it's cool. Our tenants are saving 90 bucks a month and fuel bills, but we're going to get some, what are they called? Like photovoltaic panels or whatever, and put them somewhere unobtrusive. And hopefully get a battery and have some sort of self-sufficient power. I don't really think solar and wind, and I hate the windmills. They're really ugly and they kill a lot of birds and the parts need to be replaced and sourced from a lot of polluting areas. But to have you know solar power in your house or even some kind of wind power is great, right? I don't think it scales industrially. I don't think you're going to be able to 
build skyscrapers with solar power or truck food across the country, solar and wind power. But just for your individual home, it seems like a good way to be self-sufficient off the grid as much as possible, especially if with the energy situation in Europe, although Portugal is not as bad, just the idea that they might have energy rationing or climate change lockdowns or some other bullshit to have your own independent, you know, I get a carbon score. I can only use this much credit. Have your own independent source of energy is good. So I, I look at, you know, even though the solar panels are probably mined with horrible things and the parts are probably terrible and toxic. And once you have them in your house, you've got the sun just creating energy for you. You've got the bacteria making your food, preserving your food and making it healthier and taste better. And so just an idea of just kind of using the things of the world to be on your side more. It takes a little bit of investment. You got to buy the solar panels, buy the battery. You got to buy the soil. You got to get the seeds. You got to chop the cabbage and stuff it in a jar and make sure it's submerged under the water. I mean, you got to do something initially, but I love the idea of once it's set up, it's like kind of a business, right? It's like running a business. Once it's set up, it's uh, it's operating at a profit and you've, you know, your work is just tweaking it here and there. So anyway, I just thought it makes me feel good about the passage of time. Just letting nature do the work. And the other thought I had is, uh, I think I told this story, but one time I was kind of high and I was in Marin County with a friend and these, uh, these birds just kept coming and trying to eat our food. They were picking it leftover food from the tables near us. And I kept trying to swat the birds. Well, I didn't want to touch them, but just, you know, try to swat at them so they would get scared and go away. And he said to me, he said, you know what the problem with you is? You're always trying to get rid of things that are just going to go away by themselves. And I thought about that because as I said in a past podcast, it just struck me as true. Like this guy, my uh, hilarious friend, who's totally high of his mind, says something and it actually just struck me as, oh, this is obviously true what he's saying. It just made perfect sense. And I've noticed it just lately, just the tendency and, and the opposite too. And I'm a terrible golfer. I never played golf except with my uncle, who, you know, once every few years. And maybe I'd hit some golf balls at a range. I've, I've barely played like nine holes of golf in my life. But we did this summer, the Roadwire Vegas trip. We we're doing this top golf thing, and it was pretty fun. You have a few drinks and you just crush the ball and take turns. And it was actually really fun. And one thing I realized. I hit a couple good ones, which is, you know, I don't hit that many good ones, but every once in a while you get one feels good is just like not to swing the club, just to let the club drop, just to let gravity and just the, our body weight execute the swing of the club, not to go and try to rip club. And I, you know, baseball, I remember, you know, trying to swing at the ball rather than just wait for the ball and let it, let the swing meet the ball see a punter, they're not kicking up at the ball. They're letting the, the ball get really low toward their foot. Tennis, serving, same thing, right? You know, I would be like jumping out of my shoes to lunge and serve the ball rather than just waiting for it to peak and letting the, the weight and the stroke just naturally execute. Now, just knowing this, you know, so I, I did, I was, I felt like I was doing it during the golf. I really felt I was just letting the club go through, keep my eye on the ball, letting the club go through. And when I was able to do it, it was just, it worked. It was just smooth rather than trying to hit it hard. I think that's related to the trying to swat the seagulls 
You don't have to do anything. Your body knows what to do. You just kind of get out of the way and use your eyes and let the uh, proper form that you've learned execute the stroke. There's probably, there's probably applications of that outside of sports too. Sort of let the knowledge take over. And in fact, there's a, there's like a Zen Buddhist saying that's, I think, it, I think it's something like nothing is done and yet nothing is left undone. Meaning you're not doing anything. It's just everything's getting done. And I know that there's like a lot of self-help and hacks and things like that. Oh, here's what you need to do. You need to journal in the morning and then you need to go do this exercise. Then you need to you know, go do some yoga and then you need to write down your goals for the day and all the shit. And even when they're doing something else, they're thinking about their goals. They're thinking about getting this done. And then in the afternoon I'll get that done. And I, I have the habit of doing that too. And then in the evening I'll get this. And then tomorrow I'll handle this. And you're constantly reminding yourself of all the steps you need to take to get all this stuff done. And you're just doing so much stuff. You're super busy doing stuff. And I think that's kind of like swatting at the, the bird, right? You're not just, you know what you need to do. You know how to do it, or at least you have a, idea of how you might go about it. And then you just do it. I mean, you're aware of it. You don't need to tell yourself or remind yourself a hundred times. You just do it. You just let the club drop, keep your eye on the ball. And, you know, it's your eyes that get the stroke to the right place. And it's gravity that supplies the power. Thinking about this as I'm nine months into not having a specific job that I had for 21 years, I think I can do less and do more. You know, nothing, nothing gets done. Nothing's left undone. And just, just kind of have everything kind of work for me rather than uh, be fighting it so much. I was talking with Heather the other day. She, she met some woman who had, she was like a death doula or something like that. You know, there's birth doulas that help women give birth, help bring the baby into the world. But there's people, there's doulas that help people die, I guess. And she had seen a lot of, uh, deaths and people that really were having really, really did not want to let go. And they suffered quite a bit as they were dying. And it reminded me of this movie, Jacob's Ladder. I don't remember it that well. It was, I remember it was just very scary, very scary. Sasha, when we were talking about it, wanted to see it. I was like, I don't know. You got scared of the sixth sense. I don't think you're going to be able to deal with Jacob's Ladder. But I remember at the very end of the movie, there was like a line where they said, it's when you're fighting and resisting, you see all the demons and devils. And when you let go, all the demons and devils turn to angels. And I think that's also along the lines of all of this, just you know, letting things work in your favor rather than fighting them a lot. All right. There was, uh, there's that something I was thinking about. So I'm, I'm launching a few more websites. One of them is Sasha's website. I'm not launching it. She is. It's called bookmarkbesties.com. And she and her friend are selling bookmarks. They make these like designed bookmarks and they're going to sell them. You know, it's not up and running yet. I got to help them set it up, but we'll see if they do it for real. Sasha like made a video on it too. But I told her, don't put your face in the video, just your voice. Cause there's a lot of weirdos on the internet. And it's funny, like I don't really post pictures of, of my family on the internet. Part of it was that whole um, masking people outdoors in masks, seeming like they're going to burn me at the stake. And I got this huge reaction, a lot of it pretty angry and, and hateful and spiteful. And, and that's fine. I can handle it. But if you say something they disagree with, like 
they're editing my job. And there's other guys saying like, when I got COVID and explained, I got COVID. Um, there's a guy saying, you know, Liz got his whole family sick. And it was, it was just like a lot of nasty people. It's probably a good thing because it made me realize like, don't put your, what we thought Facebook was right. Like, Oh, just share some pictures with friends and stuff. That's not really what it is. It's treasure trove for bad actors, government corporations, people who uh, have agendas. So I, I told her, don't, don't put your, don't put your face on the site yet. Maybe when you're older, it'll be, it's all right. And then Oscar, my dog built him a website. I just got him a Twitter account at the Skeezly. at the Skeezly. You know, he, I was trying to get at Oscar Liss. The name is Oscar Liss, but it's at the Skeezly because Oscar Liss, at Oscar Liss was taken. And he's posted now and then um, from his perspective, and, you know, and, and he did, he did, I, he didn't say this, but he sort of let me know more or less that, that he doesn't, he didn't consent to having this site on his behalf. He doesn't consent. In fact, he's not even aware of it. So he's not aware. He obviously couldn't have consented. But I had this idea for Sasha because she's got her own URL and her own website too. She's got the bookmark besties and then her own URL. And I'm a little nervous about turning her over, you know, to like the internet. Like she has a computer in her room, Raspberry Pi, and I got her a monitor, but I'm like, I don't want her like searching YouTube and all the shit. It's very hard to, I don't want to be like policing her all the time, but she always like wants to look up stuff. And, but you know, we're getting to that age anyway. I don't want to get her a phone and I definitely don't want her on social media. So the idea I have, and I want to share this with as many of her friends, parents as I can, they've been sort of nominally open to it, but I need to make the case, I guess, by actually doing this, building this with her and then turning her loose on it. But the idea I have is for her to run her own website and put pictures, not preferably of her yet, but, you know, pictures of things she's done or photographs or stories or her bookmarks or whatever she's into and music, whatever. And then have her friends who have their own name URL also and interact with each other without this third party middleman, without Instagram, without Facebook, without, you know, none of those kids will ever use Facebook, but whatever the hell they're going to use now. And just have them be sort of self-sovereign over their media, their social media. I mean, the kids have to socialize digitally. We're in 2022, almost 2023. We're not going to have a, your kid is going to interact with other people over the internet. It's just a fact, but why not have them control it and have them learn some skills and building it and presenting it. Uh, you know, back in 2007 or 2006 or whenever social media kind of took off, it wasn't easy to have all the tools, the microphones, the cameras, the screenshotting, everything was just a little harder to build and host your own website. It's no Substack, although I'm just having the guy who hosts my website host hers. And it's 1db.com, by the way, is the guy, Gary. And I like the guy a lot. So if you want to host your own website, you can uh, let him know. But so I, I just feel like I'm trying to get the get her into that. Hopefully timing will be good. She won't be too old where she'll be past it. Next couple of years, she builds it up. Her friends will see how cool it is. They'll do something similar. Even a sub stack, you know, it's free. Put your pictures, put things that you want to put on there and interact. Substack is still a little dangerous because it's pretty central. It's centralized and I, I could see it getting co-opted like Twitter did. I think Substack is a little less, I think your own website is is better, but it's obviously more work. 
Um, but then there's more skills involved to curate and figure it out and figure out the tech. So that's my plan. And uh, I'm going to try to push this. You have kids. I don't know. I think it's a good experiment. Maybe it'll fail, but we'll see. All right. There's that. It's going to be a short one. A couple of things. Uh, Bitcoin is down as I'm recording this just under 16,000. I said on the Ted Bell podcast that I think there is a lot of upside because as the paper Bitcoin, the fake Bitcoin uh, gets flushed out of the system because the scams get flushed out, they go under and the exchanges left standing either have to prove reserves or shore them up and make sure that if somebody buys Bitcoin, they actually have actual Bitcoin. And then a lot of people wanting to take their own private keys because they realize how risky it is to outsource that. Um, I think there's a, a real chance that it blows up like crazy. I think it's a good time to stack. Again, short term, I have no crystal ball, but it just seems that um, this is sort of the blood in the streets. And yet there's not blood in the streets. There's blood in the streets like everybody's, oh, crypto's dead. But it's just because most people don't understand the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. So I think it's a good opportunity right now, personally. Other thing that was funny is, you know, all the blue checks and the pearl clutchers and the woke scolds flipping out because of Elon Musk and Twitter. And, you know, Elon Musk, I think he's a bit dangerous. I, I do think like someone with his ego and his... uh power now is is dangerous, but so far it's certainly no worse than it was before. It could end up being worse, but certainly not at this point. But it's it's really given me genuine amusement to see the CBSs of the world boycott, say they're not going to put their news on Twitter because it's too dangerous. And two days later, come back realizing, holy shit, we're not that relevant anyway. And if we leave Twitter, we're totally irrelevant. And just Elon just completely troll them. Everyone just mock and laugh at them. I mean, that is really in some ways the, the answer, right? Just to absolutely mock these people, the people who think, oh, well, putting Donald Trump back on Twitter is terrorism. It's the equivalent of terrorism. People who think stuff like that, that free speech is terrorism, they just need to be relentlessly mocked, relentlessly derided. And I think that's what's happening. And it's a bit of a crisis for, you know, for the, the media that basically what, I, I mean, to me, the story of what happened is the oligarchy was able to control the message through the legacy media pretty well. There was a few channels and they could be in lockstep and they could have some superficial divisions like Fox versus CNN or whatever, but they pretty much controlled the narrative as they pleased. And then the internet came around and social media and all of a sudden they, it was a lot harder to control the narrative until they realized, okay, well, we need to really embed ourselves with the social media founders and tech people and tech teams. And they did that. And they had a lot of control, though not total control, but they had a lot of control over what could be said and who can be deplatformed. And now that that's being overthrown, that regime and Elon Musk is firing all of the hall monitor people who were suppressing speech because it was you know, dissenting from the, the narrative. Um, now they're really kind of in a crisis, right? They, they're, they're lashing out, they're accusing people of being terrorists They're but it's impotent, right? Because everybody's laughing at them and free to mock them. Now this could turn, again, I, Elon Musk, I wrote a Substack piece about the Antichrist and I like Elon Musk, but of course I would like the Antichrist. It's just a little bit dangerous when someone has that much power. But for now, let's take the W and cheer on the uh, the retreat of the you know, the authoritarianism that, that we've dealt with the last, you know, certainly since Trump took over, authoritarianism in response to Trump. It's so funny that people think that like Trump 
is a fascist and authoritarian. I mean, Trump is a clown, but there were no mandates under Trump. There are no vaccine mandates under Trump. And to my knowledge, there were no free speech purges under Trump. There was no ministry of disinformation proposed. So say what, anything negative you want about Trump. He didn't pardon Assange. He didn't pardon Snowden. Um, he empowered Fauci. He was the one who, although it's hilarious the way they're trying to gaslight, but he was the one who pushed Operation Warp Speed in the vaccine. He did. He did a lot of things that were very stupid and destructive. Say what you want about Trump, but to me, it's if, you, if authoritarianism or fascism have any meaning at all, it's it's clear that he that that's not really. And perhaps if he had been more powerful and had less opposition, he might have become a fascist. But plainly, the way he the, the way things were under Trump were less authoritarian. There was more diversity. You could say about Trump, "You're a fucking scumbag. You're going to jail." You could say that, of course, and you'd be cheered and promoted. But if you say that stuff, you know, if you said the stuff about Nancy Pelosi or question the Paul Pelosi, uh, the, the breaking with the hammer, the narrative there, you know, you get a pile on, you know, you probably people try to get your job taken. If you question the vaccine narrative, everything, everything was much, much, it was much harder to speak out under the current administration. And so to me, the authoritarians and the fascists, if you want to call them that, are the people who, the, the hall monitors, the people that are scolding you, telling you what you can say and what you can't say. And who would even think about fighting disinformation as if there's a clear de definition of who's spreading it and who's not. And so I'm enjoying seeing the authoritarians and fascists on the run. And that's what they, that's what they were. That's how they behaved. It doesn't matter what, whether you're right in a particular belief or wrong or what your tribe thinks it matters, you know, that dissent is allowed. A couple of things that's kind of crazy. So uh, I mentioned the uh, the Operation Warp Speed. They're starting to, I think, you know, the truth is just coming about the vaccine being not only ineffective at stopping the spread, but also killing a lot of people. And if you want to follow a real good data scientist on this, the ethical skeptic, I highly recommend him. Disturbing. There's another guy, James Olson, who goes over the anecdotes of this 18-year-old had a heart attack, this 21-year-old dropped dead, this 42-year-old dropped dead, you know, one after another. That's Dr. James Olson. But the ethical skeptic's more, you know, he's more anecdotal, but the ethical skeptic's more data-driven. You follow him. Don't follow him if you if you are really uh, invested in the narrative because it's going to disturb you. Anyway, they're, they're starting to gaslight and, and make it seem like Operation Warp Speed was Trump's, which it was. It really was. But like as though that wasn't what they were part of, that they didn't push for mandates. I don't think it's going to work, but it may work on a certain sort of brainwashed person that it'll just re- engineer their mind to think that history was very different than it was. But the, uh, the latest one is the FDA is now saying that uh, its advice not to take ivermectin was just a recommendation. It wasn't legal advice. or But meanwhile, you couldn't get it filled out in a pharmacy and hospitals were firing doctors who were prescribing it. So there's some, you know, there's some cases being brought um, by doctors who were fired by hospitals and why they couldn't treat patients in the way they saw fit. And again, it doesn't really matter whether you think ivermectin works. I took it. I don't know that it worked. It didn't harm me, but I don't know that it worked. But either way, that's not the point. The point is doctors wanted to prescribe it. They believed that it would help. They believed at least it might help. And it's pretty, uh, the side effects are pretty mild, if any. I didn't have any. And they uh, were fired from their hospitals from for prescribing it. Now the And it was all at the behest of the narrative of the you know, Rachel Maddow was on TV saying it was horse paced and people are going to the emergency room for it and, you know, trying to mock people for trying to get well. And then the FDA, you know, was, was pushing that. 
And now they're just saying, oh, it's just a recommendation. So if it comes out that uh, these people were fired unjustly, they're throwing the hospitals under the bus. But you know what? Fine. Fuck the hospitals, right? Why are you firing people? Because, because they're trying to prescribe a treatment that's harmless, that tens of millions of people in Africa have taken for river blindness. Side effect profile is pretty mild compared to, certainly compared to the, the COVID vax and just lots of different medications that are in common use. So the gaslighting, we're now in the gaslighting portion of it, which is, it's not directed at people like me. It's not directed at people who are listening to this podcast because nobody's going to forget what the situation was. It's directed at people who are starting to maybe be like, what's going on? Like the vaccine doesn't work that much. Oh yeah, it was the Trump warp speed vaccine. That's right, that's right. That's why it doesn't work. And the people are starting to say, well, why? What's going on? Is ivermectin, is, it's not that big of a thing. It actually is used for other things. Is, is it really, you know, now that the propaganda is wearing off on some of that, like, oh no, it was just a recommendation. It was just their opinion that, you know, no big deal. So this is the next phase, but that's good, right? That means that they've, they're in retreat. Something kind of concerning well, there's some really a couple of interesting things. So, so one thing is that CBS, which their dramatic boycott, it's already over, um, is reporting that the details of the Hunter Biden laptop were completely authenticated. And everybody knew who's paying attention that, that was true even before the 2020 election. But now it's like details are coming out and they're reporting that. And remember, now that the Republicans have a majority, they're starting to investigate Hunter Biden. And these outlets are going to try to get ahead of it, pretend like, again, it's gaslighting, like, oh, well, we're very concerned. Let's, they're worried what's going to come out and they're going to act like they're on this. They're reporting this because it's coming out anyway. So if they don't report it, even the very little credibility they have among the diehard holdouts that still care about CBS News, it gets sort of ahead of the narrative and buys them. So I'm like, oh, of course we reported on the, the Biden laptop two years later. But also the midterms are over. And so Biden has no use. They definitely don't want him to run again, right? He's way too old. He can barely string together a coherent sentence. They got to get rid of him, but they can't just not let him run if he wants to run, right? I mean, they can't, they're not going to be able to sit him down if he's a sitting president. And so I think, we'll see. I think some stuff may come out where he has to step down, where they want to get rid of him. We'll see. That may be overly speculative, but there's nothing left for him to win or do for them at this point. So keep an eye on the coincidence of that. And, you know, the FTX failure, which is, and it's weird that some of these outlets like Forbes and New York Times, they're writing these like puff pieces on SBF, like very strange behavior. You know, how were they complicit? How much money did he give to them? If and when there's an investigation, which there may never be, right? I and mean, we still don't know about the Nord Stream pipeline, like that disappeared. And what happened to the uh, COVID origins? Uh, you know, there's supposed to be investigations in these major, major events. And so that hasn't happened yet, but it sounds like, you know, they're trying to, soften the blow public image of this guy because he paid the intercept that outlet that Gren Greenwald founded and then ditched when they were suppressing information about the Hunter Biden laptop. All this stuff's coming out right after the midterms. Like this stuff was coming out, this stuff was happening and they just got every last bit of mileage out of the current regime. So I wouldn't be surprised if people are, if a lot of people are thrown under the bus now that they're sort of past they're, they're, they've outlived their usefulness and they're going to need some scapegoats, right? I mean, this vaccine stuff's going to come out. It's already coming out. And then you see these people, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, calling for amnesty. Oh, we need amnesty. You know, hey, let's all just get over our differences on COVID and how it was handled. I don't know if it was George Carlin, but somebody was like, look, let's not get all excited about who killed who. <laughs> but yeah, no big deal. 
who locked up who, who locked down who, who destroyed whose business, who killed who. Let's not get worked up about that. Let's just move on. We can all handle this like adults. It was uh, it was like Obama after uh, he didn't actually prosecute the uh, Bush administration for Guantanamo, you know, war crimes, torturing people. And he said something like, uh, yeah, we tortured some folks. We tortured some folks. It's like, oh, yeah, we just tortured some folks. No big deal. Let's just move on. It's just They're just a bunch of folks. Just people torturing people. Friendly, friendly little bit of torture. Oh, yeah, we just locked you in your, in your house, took away your rights, kept your kid out of school, harmed his development, injected him with chemical poison that's killed some of them and damaged their immune systems for no reason. Doesn't even stop the spread. Mandated that. Cost you your job. Yeah, let's just let's let it go. Let's have some amnesty over this. We're just getting started. And we'll see. You know, again, I don't trust Elon Musk entirely, but the fact that information is freer than it was a month ago is is something. And as these ideas are circulated in the zeitgeist, I think some people have to be nervous. I think there is the idea that there's some masterminds that are this is just another part of the plot. You know, it's possible. I, I feel like I don't really trust almost any of these characters, famous characters, no matter how charismatic or personable or the, the, what right things they say in the, in the long haul. But I do think it's more chaotic than people think. I do think there are some conspiracies with the World Economic uh, Foundation. You have the G20 meet and Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates were there. For what reason? They're not elected. And they're talking about, you know, passports to travel and being up to date on your vaccines to be able to travel around the world. And I think on one hand, it's a bit scary. On the other hand, a lot of the world's just waking up. And so these people have to gaslight. They have to pretend like they're still an authority. There's what, you know, I'll, I'll leave on one thing because I don't want to make this go too long. But uh, when I, when I first worked for Roto News, before it was Roto Wire, they were owned by a company called Broadband Sports. And it was one of these kind of dot-com frauds. I've talked about it before where they're just kind of pumping the usage, pumping the engagement, even if they had to spend a lot of money to show user growth, which was the hot metric um, for going public. Of course, they didn't go public because the economy crashed before they could, and then they ended up going bankrupt. But I remember at some point, and they'd spent, and they had like the fanciest offices in Santa Monica and flat screen TVs when those things were actually really expensive. And, you know, it was, it was like a pretty plush place. We worked there, 2000. And I remember when everything went to shit and they were running out of money and they were going bankrupt and it was basically over. I think like the CEO had resigned or, or something. I don't, I don't know exactly who resigned, but anyway, there was this one guy. It was definitely like the lights were still on for like the final month and they were like divvying up like who, what could be sold. And we went into work and there was this guy, I can't remember his name. I know some of the road wire partners remember this guy's name, but he was in charge of us and he made this impassioned speech about how, you know, we're, everything's good. We're just getting it going. We're going to build it up better than ever. And everybody in the room knew he, it was bullshit. Like <laughs> everybody's being laid off and companies shutting down. And it was obviously bullshit what he was saying. But he had to keep up appearances because we still had three more weeks. And I don't know, maybe some of the uh, products we were, you know, some, some of the sites maybe would have some value in bankruptcy or, you know, maybe be acquired by some, some of it, you know, parts of the company could be acquired or something if we kept working on those parts. I, I'm not exactly sure why we were even in the office at that point. But just keep that in mind when you think of these G20 leaders and the Trudeaus and the Macrons like actually 
still making policy, still talking about the vaccine passports and how we're going to have biometric IDs for this, you know, when they're trying to, I'm not saying you should take it lightly or not be concerned about it. I think we should, but keep in mind that when you've lost, when it's over, when reality has intervened and shown that your plan was stupid or the Mike Tyson saying that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and reality punches you in the face and you realize that what you've done is complete fraud and it's failed and you don't have enough buy-in, what do you do? You pretend like everybody did buy in. You keep it going because what else are you going to do? You know, until you're actually prosecuted, until you're put behind bars, you got to pretend you're innocent. And when OJ got acquitted right afterward, he said, you know, I've got a plan to find the real killers. Well, of course he had to say that because if he were innocent, he'd be very concerned of who killed his ex-wife and got him framed. He'd be very concerned about that. So he had to pretend he was concerned about that because unless he's going to admit that he did it, that's how he's got to play it. And so... On the one hand, you know, scary Klaus Schwab and Emmanuel Macron, but on the other hand, scared Klaus Schwab, scared of Emmanuel Macron, scared Justin Trudeau, because they've got no other play at this point. They're pot committed. They've got a weak hand, but they've got to push the chips in. And it's just up to people like you, people like me, to just keep telling the truth and keep making it more and more uncomfortable for them to gaslight, make it more and more absurd until the point where, you know, somebody shuts it down. All right, that's going to do it for this pod. Hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving. Till next time.